Jesus, I think two of the greatest reminders that we get when we worship is one, that God loves us, and two, how amazing he is, his sovereignty, his strength. He is, he is in control, amen? That is comforting to know that I'm not, I don't have to be in control because he is, amen? Glory to his name. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians as we continue here. The book of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 14. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. When you got it, say so. Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. And it says here, it says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And someone said, Amen. Amen. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy toward us, Lord God. And we humble ourselves before you today. And Spirit of God, we just ask that you would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, Lord God, that you would help us today, Lord God, to walk out of this place, Lord God, serving and honoring you, Lord God, bringing you glory and praise, Lord Jesus. Your name is the name that is above all names, and so we ask you, Lord God, to glorify yourself, Lord God, control our hearts and our minds today. We mean, may we not be distracted, but God, may we be focused on what you're saying to us. May we not miss what you're communicating to our hearts, but God, may we be those who are desperately listening to you, Lord God, waiting for your direction so that we, we may follow you as your obedient sons and daughters. God, we pray these things in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are in the book of Ephesians, um, and we're, we're, we're still going through this series. Uh, this is the sixth message, actually the seventh message, because Pastor Pete did preach last week from here. If you need an outline, raise your hand. Um, we want to make sure that you get an outline so that you can take notes. We want to make sure you get an outline um, for that personal reason, but then secondarily because we do utilize these outlines in order for us to be able to discuss the sermons and as we've been going through the this new season in our connect groups we realize that our sermon series is going to be our sermon series are going to be discussed not the week of but the, the week later and so basically you're not going to talk today if you're in the Sunday connect about today's message you'll talk about last week's message same thing for Tuesday same thing for Saturday so you're going to be um, talking about the message before hence the reason why it's that much more important that you have notes with you right because I don't know about you but as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm not old yet, hello. I'm just saying, as I've gotten a little bit older, right, it's a little bit easier to remember things when I write them down. Amen. Glory to God. 
And for some of us, we just, we, we just never had really good memories anyway, so writing stuff down was the way for us to do it. So it's important that you write things down, that you write questions down, that you, know, you write stuff down that you may need to discuss or that you may want to bring up in your connect groups. There's certain questions that are there um, that you can answer, and so it's very important for us that you get one of those. And so if you, don't, if you don't have an outline, make sure you have your hand up. If you need a pen, I think they have some pens. If you need a pen, we want to hook you up, make sure there's no reason why you couldn't take good notes. Amen? Glory to God. So as, as every week, I try to see if there is someone who is available or who is bold enough to come up here and declare our memory verse before the church, right? And so before I do that, let me just ask a quick, quick, quick question. How many of you have memorized this verse, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, the verses? Raise your hand up high. Come on. You know, this is humble pride. Hello. Y'all miss that. Y'all will get that when you're on the way home. Be like, humble pride, that doesn't exist. It's an oxymoron. Yes, it is. Amen. So we got a couple people, only a few people. All right, y'all got to work on that. Glory to God. We're halfway through the book, right? Y'all got to get this. We have one connect group, their entire connect group memorized it and brought it up here to us. Glory to God. And so we do have a special person who would like to do that, right? Where, 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 where's Kayla at? Where is she? She is, right? Come on now. Come on, get, put your hands together for Kayla as she comes forward. She's going she's gonna to lead us. I love this because our children are outdoing the adults. Glory to God. The hand. Test. You, you can come up here. They are better. Is that what it is? It's better memory? Glory to God. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Praise the Lord. Ter terrible, terrible, terrible. Go ahead. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. Amen, amen. That was good. Praise the Lord. All right. So for, for the next few weeks, I need some adult volunteers. Amen. I need to get some adults up in here. Our kids, you know, out of the mouth of babes, you know, praise is perfected, amen? Cheryl, you want to do it next week? No? You're not feeling that? Everybody pray for Cheryl, all right? Let's stretch our hands toward her. I'm just joking. Um, Mia, you said Mia? Mia was feeling it? Dr. Mia Baker is going to show us how to memorize, glory to God. They motivated you. They motivated you. See, they called you out, glory to God. But you, but, but you were part of the Tuesday Connect. Were you part of the Tuesday Connect that said it already? No? Oh, oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it then. I'm sorry. Oh. All right, moving on. We're going to move on now. Glory to his name. I'm going to get holy. Let's get holy. Let's get back into the word. Let's get back into the spirit. We don't want to get Jamie Descalzo going right there, right? Because he'd get excited and he'll, you know, he just starts, you know, with the sports stuff. He loves that, right? <laughs> Amen, amen. So anyway, let's say it together, our memory verse. Let's say it together. So ready? One, two, three. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with wonder and love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I read this when I'm memorizing, saying it with you guys because I don't want to get thrown off, right? So that's why I'm reading it. But I do have it memorized, just so you know. I just want to say that, just for the record. I know some of y'all were looking at me like, is Bishop memorizing this or is he just saying this? I did, I did. I, but, you know, but, you know, sometimes our memory fails us, you know, it fails us, you know, weeks later. 
Glory to God. So we are in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, and so we are going over this prayer that the Apostle Paul prays. And so today, what I want to speak on is divine inspiration. Divine inspiration. I want to talk about that because it's important for us to look at our lives and to consider what it is that is inspiring us or what it is that is motivating us. And the reality is in your outline, each of us is driven by something. It may be an appetite that we have, it may be a desire, it may be an expectation, it may be an experience, whether it is a positive or negative, we don't just do or not do without reason. Are you, are you getting that? There's a reason why we do things. There's a reason why we don't do things. There's a reason why we act the way that we do. It is because of something that is driving us, something that is motivating us. And so, as an example, the Apostle Paul shows us what should be the correct source of our motivation or inspiration. We're talking about divine inspiration. And inspiration is that. It's that motivation. And that is what? It should be the gospel. The video that we saw earlier was a clear depiction of the gospel. It was a clear presentation of what the gospel was. And that gospel should be the thing that motivates us. The gospel is what? The revelation of God, his grace and his love, his mercy and his holiness, his power and his justice, his divine, eternal plan being executed with precision and effectiveness. That should be the motivation of our hearts. And the reason why the title of the message is, you know, um, is divine inspiration is because when I sat down and I began to meditate on the scripture as I was getting ready to prepare the message, I got stuck on the first couple of words. And it is the first three words there. He says, for this reason. And as I was reading it, I just couldn't get past that thing. And the reason why, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit stopped me there is because if you remember, you remember verse 1. What, how does verse 1 start in chapter 3? Isn't that the same line? Remember, we talked about this. For this reason, in verse 1 is where, is where the Apostle Paul starts. And then there's that parenthetical statement where he begins to break down the mystery again. And he, and he um, interjects that as the Holy Spirit leads him. But then when he gets back into this prayer, he does what? He goes back to that statement again and repeats it. And what he does is he's communicating to us that there is a primary motivation in his life. There is a primary thing that is leading him to be the person that he is, to be the preacher of the gospel that he is, and it is that he is moved by this gospel. And for this reason, so for this reason does what? What does it do? For this reason, it connects you to the prior statement, right? Connecting you also to what is being communicated afterwards, but he's connecting it to the prior statement. He's saying, for this reason, because of what I just communicated for these two chapters. And so Paul was motivated by the gospel. And we need to question and ask ourselves, and my hope is that you will think about that question throughout this message, that you will consider what is your motivation? Is your motivation an appetite of your heart? The book of Philippians talks about people's appetites being there or their belly being their God. And so two applications you can give there. I believe the correct application is not a physical belly, but what the correct application is, is that there is something inside of them that is their appetite, something that they desire, and that is their God. That is their driving force, their appetite, their vision for their life, their desire, their goals, their aspirations. And so we need to ask ourselves, okay, God, is the gospel really the primary motivator in my life? Is the gospel really the primary source of my motivation? And listen, this is not a, this is not an, a, a question that should be asked to those who are like 18 or older. Hello. 
This is a question that should be asked of everyone that is in this room, considering what is your motivation? What is it that is driving or leading you in the decisions that you will make in your life? The inspiration in your outline, the inspiration of for all that the Apostle Paul did was the revelation of the gospel. In this specific context, the mystery revealed, and we're reminded of this because he tells us that in the beginning of the chapter, that God, through the work of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, made one man out of Jews and Gentiles, destroying the enmity between us and them, so that the enmity between Jews and Gentiles was destroyed. That middle wall of separation was destroyed. It was no longer God. God's people and everyone else, but now God dies on this cross in the form of his son, and he offers salvation to all mankind equally. He doesn't say that you had to be born into a specific family. He doesn't say that you have to be from a specific tribe. He doesn't say that you have to be connected to anyone. All you have to do is be connected to Jesus. And so he dies in our place, and then he reconciles us to himself, destroying that enmity between us and them, and more importantly, the enmity between him and ourselves. Because our sin makes us what? Us breaking God's laws makes us his enemies. Think about this. When you're driving down the road, for those of you that drive, and if you decide that you are going to speed, mm -hmm, Some of you have a radar detector in your vehicles, hello? And so you pay attention to the beeps, right? The lights, when them lights go on, what has happened to your, what, what happens to your right foot? Those lights move and your right foot goes, right? If you don't have, you know, one of those things in your car, I don't have one of them. What I do when I speed, I'll just confess my sin. As I look as far ahead as I can, glory to God. I pay attention to some other lights. Those are the lights of the cars in front of me. Do I see brake lights? And when I see brake lights, I'm like, ooh, right? Because what happens is the moment that I decide that I'm going to violate the speed limit, I make myself an enemy. Are you hearing me? I make myself a lawbreaker, and I'm setting myself up for what? Negative consequences. It's the same thing with us and God. When I say, or you hear the word sinner, you should equate it with lawbreaker. And so you are a lawbreaker, right? And you make yourself an enemy of the one who establishes the law. And so it's the same thing for us. When we are God's enemies, we are breaking God's laws. But what does God do in his love? He comes and dies in our place. His son comes. God sends his son to die in our place so that way he can make us who are his enemies his friends. He does that so we can have this right relationship. That's the reason why he, the motivation of our life should be the gospel. That's the reason why the apostle Paul was so motivated. He used him, um, Paul Washer, who was a speaker in that clip, he used him as a great example. Paul was 100% opposed to the church. He was 100% opposed to Jesus, and he encounters God, and he becomes God's friend. God delivers him from his sin and brings him into the right relationship. And the Apostle Paul, throughout all of his ministry, was highly motivated by this gospel that transformed his life and offers transformation to all of us. And here's the thing. Just as the scriptures, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 3, it tells us that all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, does it not? 
And when it says that, it says all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God is what, that scripture, is what that scripture is communicating. And it's talking about the inspiration of the word of God, that God inspired it himself. And so what I believe is this, is that just as the scriptures are divinely inspired, so should we strive to live our lives walking worthy with the gospel as the source of our deepest motivation or our deepest inspiration for all that we do. We should live and desire to live a life that is divinely inspired. Well, let me ask you this question just to give you a practical application. How is it possible for you and I to live a life that is divinely inspired? Do we have to wait to feel God's breath for us to move? Because that's how some people are. I love this, I love this story of Francis Chan. He gives, he, gives, he gives this awesome analogy. He was talking about himself. He was getting ready to, he was, he was applying to be a foster parent. And as he was applying to be a foster parent, he said something that I, it, just, it, it really blew my mind. I, I've, I've ne- I have to be honest, I never really thought about it in this context because I was probably one of the people that he was describing at some point in my life. And he says this, he says, as I'm here and I'm preparing to be a foster parent, he said, as, as, as I'm doing this, he said, you know, I'm thinking, you know, as, as I'm preparing for this conference he was preaching at, he said, I'm thinking about all of the people who say like this, they're like, man, I would never be a foster parent unless God spoke to me. And he said, you know, as I thought about that concept, he said, I, I, he said doesn't the Bible already say we should take care of the orphans? It should be the opposite. I'm going to be a foster parent to as many children as I can be until God says stop. I know you don't want to hear that. That's why I got Lee laughing and everyone else is like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Bishop, are you saying we got to be foster parents? I'm not saying anything. What I'm communicating is we want God to repeat himself on stuff that he's already said. Hello. We want God to, like, move us to love someone. We want God to move us to do something good. How about we make God stop us from doing good stuff? How about we make, how about we're like, God, I am going to go all in, and I'm going to go all out until you tell me to shut up. I'm going to tell everyone on my block about Jesus until you tell me to stop. I'm not waiting to feel you move me to go knock on someone's door, but you, are you getting the point here? And so, ultimately, how can, that, that, that's a life that's divinely inspired. How is that divine? inspired. Well, what I did was I took the divinely inspired word of God, and what I did is I meditated on it. I looked at what God has already said are imperatives. I looked at what he already said are responsibilities, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to believe what he says, and I'm going to believe that, yes, he really wants me to do that. Hello. I'm going to take this word, and I'm going to live it the way that he says to live it, as difficult as it is. I'm going to do what he says the way that he says to do it until he tells me stop how about if we can you imagine how revolutionizing and how like revival setting that would be if the church lived that way hello i'm just saying if we live that way if we live under that type of inspiration you know that's why the word of god is inspired so that way we can be those people who live under divine inspiration and so the apostle paul tells us he says for this reason for this reason He already told us all the reasons, and then he goes and he says the next thing that he does. And the next thing he says in this verse, in verse 14, he says, For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so the first thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this, say, A divinely inspired life will be a life marked by prayer. 
a divinely inspired life will be a life that is marked by prayer. I want you to think about something for a moment. When Jesus walked this earth, he was, and and you read the Gospels, do you notice that there's a couple of things that stand out? Like early in the morning, he goes away by himself, and they find him by himself. You you remember those parts in the Gospel? There's a reason why those things are there. And and the first, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks on the topic of prayer. His disciples were all present, and he communicates to them what prayer was like. And then later on, you know, middle part of his ministry, we see in the book of Luke that his disciples come to him and they say, teach us to pray as though he had never taught them the first time. And I conclude that the reason why they did that is because they were looking at his life. They were looking at the power of God manifesting through him. They were looking at the fruit of what he was doing. And they were like, hold on a second. We heard you teach prayer once. Teach us again because we might have missed something. Teach us to pray again. And so we notice that from the moment that Jesus resurrects and ascends into heaven, where are the apostles and where are those 120 people that are in the upper room? What are they doing? Say it louder, Pastor Alvin. They're praying. Now, 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 hold on a second. They weren't just praying. I want you to realize that they were coming together three times a day. For an hour every time they came together and they were seeking the face of God and they were going to continue to do that until what? Until they were endued with power. How many of y'all want power in your life? I'm just saying, like the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting in your life. I mean, I know that some of us come from Pentecostal backgrounds and things like that, so I would assume you want the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. Well, my question is, how much time do you spend in prayer? My question is, how much time are you spending in the presence of God seeking him? We all want to see great change, but we don't want to pay great prices. We all want to see the glory. We confess that we want to see the glory of God. But see, I've come to conclude something, that when someone says they really want something, it's evident in their life that they really want it. You can see someone, like when I, like, like when I leave here, I'm going to let you know something. I want to eat at a certain restaurant. You want to know what you're going to see? Follow me. You're going to see what I want. Why? Because I'm going there. Hello. There's going to be no question. You're going to be like, man, did Bishop want to go to that restaurant? There's going to be no question. You're going to know where he wanted to go. You're going to know why. Because I'm going from here to there. Glory to God. Amen. Okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to stand in line, whatever the case may be, because that is what I want. That is what I, well, I want the power of the Holy Ghost. Where does it come from? Well, I look at my Bible and I see these people were marked by prayer. You read the book of Acts and you find what? You find that they weren't just a people that had a prayer meeting here or there. These were people who were praying. Peter's in prison. Where are they at? They are praying. They Listen, they are seeking God with all of their heart that God would be merciful. God answers their prayer and they're so amazed that he answered their prayer. They didn't even believe it. Hello. But these were people that were marked by prayer. Well, you read your Bible, and you know what you find? You find in 1 Timothy chapter 2, you find something that's pretty clear. The apostle Paul is speaking. I believe it's in verse 8. And he says this. He says, I will that all men, listen to me now, I will that all men, and he is speaking about masculine. He's calling men to prayer. Hello. He says, I will that all men pray in all places with hands lifted. And so, A, I just want you to know, lifting your hands in prayer is biblical. Someone say amen to that. 
And B, I want to point out that God is calling men. And, and, and I realize this as well. You know, when we talk about love and respect, we just came from our Covenant Couples Retreat, and I've, and I've done marriage counseling and things like that. And, and one of the things that I realize is that when God tells the husband, right, for you, for you that have done love and respect with us, you know this already. But if you, don't, if, if you haven't done this, maybe this will be something new to you, or maybe you just need to be reminded. But what we realize is that God doesn't say stuff, like, for no reason, right? So when God tells the, the husband to love his wife, it is because that doesn't come natural. Are you hearing me? Like, it would, be, it would be dumb to tell my wife, hey, love your husband. Why? Because she is just naturally a nurturer. She's naturally loving, right? I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. But now tell me, Jason, love your wife. It's Christ loves the church. God is telling us something that is not normal. Now, I'm just saying in general, like, like I, I know we don't want to just like, you know, just umbrella everyone and just stereotype and say, all women are like this, all men are, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. What I'm saying is that typically, hello, typically women are more sacrificial in their love. They're more sensitive to the needs that are there. They're, that's just, it's typical, right? What about men? We'd be oblivious to stuff, Right? <laughs> We're walking around. We don't even know people are mad at us. We're like, man, it's quiet in here. That's awesome. <laughs> like, like, I have no honey-do list. Man, my wife must really be loving me this week, glory to God. No, man, she's mad at you. She's not talking to you because she's upset. And you just think, man, this is amazing, right? But, but typically, right, that's, that's how it is. And so what does he say? He tells men, right, men, love, because that's not the norm for most men. And then women, what does he say? I know, I know, it's like, I don't want to say that. But he says submit, right, submit. It's not an ugly word, it's a good word, right? Submit, respect, because what? Because that's not the natural. I know you don't want to hear that. You were good on the love part, right? But then I come to the, like, nah, Bishop, you want, no, the, argue with the Bible. But the thing is, we have to realize this, right? So when God communicates, and he's saying this to the men in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he's communicating. He's saying, men pray. You know what I've concluded the reason why he has to remind these men of this is because they weren't praying. They were, they were allowing the, the ones who are, now, now, now let's be real, right? As women are more typically more sensitive, who are the ones who are waking up early to pray most of the time in the house? Hello. Who are the ones that are coming to the prayer meetings most of the time in the church? Man, how, how many, let me ask you this. Think about this for a moment. For, for some of y'all that have been in church for a while, how many men's prayer directors do you know? Come on, Sister Mabel, talk to me. Sister Mabel's been around for a little bit, you know what I'm saying? She's been, she's been around some church, and she's like, man, I don't know that many. How, many. how many men? I thank God. I thank God for the men in this place that are given a prayer, for the men that show up when it's time, when, when it's time to pray. Listen, for some reason, we, we just think, oh, prayer is not a big deal. Prayer is a huge deal. Listen, we can have all the plans in the world. I, I, I love the analogy. It never gets old for me. The church today, right? This, this is how we do it today. The church today, we like plan for 10 days, pray for three minutes, and we see no results. See, little results here or there. The church of that day, look, they prayed for 10 days. They preached for 10 minutes. They saw 3,000 people come to Jesus. Well, it's a different day. I know it's a different day, but we serve the same God. 
And, and, and I know it's a different day, but guess what? The needs of the heart of men are still the same. And you know what men need? They need a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit through our lives. When we preach the gospel, they need to experience something going on inside of them. The same pricking in the hearts of the people that occurred when Peter preached. And at the end of the preaching, Peter didn't have to call them to the altar. They were coming to him say, what must we do? That's the kind of longing of preaching I want to be. Is the kind of guy that people are like, what do I need to do? Because I've been so convicted by the truth of Scripture. That should be what's going on. But you know what, church? That stuff doesn't happen if the Spirit of God is not moving through our lives. And you want to know what? The reality is that if we are not a people of prayer, we will never see the power of God. And we will never walk in the divine inspiration that God desires. God is not waiting for one person. He wants the church to grasp this truth and this reality. And the Apostle Paul, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. He tells the church again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he tells them there in the general instructions at the end, he tells them to rejoice always, right? And then he says something else. He's like, and you need to pray without ceasing. Calling us as a church to be a people who pray. And I'll say this, it should be clear. If, you, if it's not clear yet, let me just make this crystal clear. You can tweet this, post this, whatever. It should be clear. You cannot walk in divine inspiration if you are not in the presence of God. You cannot walk in divine inspiration if you are not in the presence of God. And so if you are going to be a person who walks under divine inspiration, point one of your life needs to be, I need to be given to prayer. So when do I need to pray? All the time. But you need to set apart a time that you and Jesus come together, that you and the Holy Spirit come together. And is that time in the morning? Listen, I encourage you, yes. You want to know why? Because most people, and I say most because this is not true for all, but most people who wait for the nighttime to pray never make it. Hello. When they get to prayer at night, they're so worn out, they're so tired, they come to Jesus and they give him all of, his, all of their leftovers. Hello. Falling asleep in prayer. I know about that. Hello? I'm going to pray tonight, Lord. I get on my knees. I wake up an hour later. I'm just letting you know this is the truth, man. You know? And then that's why I would tell you, man, get up and walk around. And there's sometimes, I'm just saying, I'm so worn out. I'm walking, and I, like, stop walking. I find myself falling asleep standing up. I'm just saying. You're so worn out because of what's been going on in your day. And so ultimately, what am, what am I encouraging? Well, I mean, the psalmist says what? He, he, he said, early in the morning, I will seek you. Hello. I know you don't want to hear that. You're like, Bishop, you're trying to make me get up early. I'm not trying to make you do anything. Amen? I'm just trying to give you some, 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 some directives. And if you want to take them, take them. And I hope that you will because I really pray that your life would be a life that is under the divine inspiration of God. And so separating a time to see God, I was blessed the other day. We, um, Brother Mark, he came to this first men's meeting. Give him a hand, glory to God. We thank you for being there, bro. Um, and, he, and he shared with us. What did you say? You said that your time is like between like 3 and 5, right? That's like the time that you, that, that he, 3 a.m. and 5. Some of y'all are like, man, I'm in my third dream. Amen. Glory to God. I know. And I'm not telling you to get up at 3, but what I'm saying, I'm using that as an example. It's like he knows. He's like, look, I got to get up, you know, 3 to 5. He's like, because after that, my wife gets up, and he's like, I don't know, you know, just, you know, she's up. Glory to God. He's, what he's saying is he's in love with her. He's distracted. Glory to God. He's got a good wife, and so he's, he, he can't be focused on Jesus. That's what he said. He's just being honest, right? That's what, that's what you said. He said that. That is what he said. And so y'all took it to another level. But anyway, I'm just, what I'm saying is, you know, you got you to think about this, like, okay, I, am I going to try to get up at 6 when everyone else is getting up and it's all crazy in the house? You ain't going to pray. 
Because you're going to be distracted by everything that's going on. And so it's important that we are a people that are given to prayer. Here's the thing. Prayer would seem, and I, and I want to point this out, prayer would seem to be the most natural activity for believers, yet many people struggle in prayer. For some people, it's just a discipline thing. It's that you just need to get up. Hello. Stop hitting the snooze button, right? Glory to God. Put like three alarm clocks. Because I know some people, they'd be like, yeah, I got an alarm clock across the room, and I get up and turn it off and go back to bed. Hello. Right? Okay, put, a, put an alarm clock across the room, put an alarm clock in a bathroom, put an alarm clock in another room. I'm just saying, just like all over the house, so you got to walk the house at least. I mean, that'll give you more hope, right? Hopefully you'll be like, all right, I got to stay awake. I can't do like three snoozes. But anyway, the point is, discipline sometimes is the issue. But other times, it's not discipline is not the issue with prayer. Sometimes people just don't feel adequate to pray. Sometimes people don't feel like, you know, you hear some, you know, one of the leaders pray, and you're like, man, I wish I could pray like them. God didn't ask you to pray like them. He asked you to pray from your heart. I promise you, none of us started praying the way that we did. You know what I did when I, when I first became a Christian? I'll just be honest. I'm not a guy that likes to journal, but when I first became a Christian, I had this little black, that com, it's a composite book, right? That's like the, com, the black, what Composition, there you go. Composition book, glory to God. Composite, I don't know, man. It's, it was a C-O-M-P. Composition, I don't, I don't have the book any longer, all right? But the point was, what I did was, literally, I, I, I had my composition, composite, my composite, comp, had my composition book, huh? I had my, my notebook, how about that? We're going to go with notebook. I had my notebook, glory to God. And what I would do is I literally wrote down, like I started, I understood like the armor of God and I felt like I need to put that on every day in some way, shape or form. And I wrote down, okay, this is what I need to pray. And then it was, and I used to literally go through and I would read like the things that I understood I needed to pray for and then reading the Psalms and that's how I grew in my prayer life. And then what happens is after you keep doing something over and over, guess what, guess what you don't need? You don't need the composition notebook. Hello. Just saying. Because what happens is now that stuff becomes part of you. But you want to grow? You know what that was called? That was called discipline. And so if you want to grow in your prayer life, it's going to require discipline. You don't need to have a composition notebook and write everything down. You do need to be in the scriptures, though. I encourage you that. You need to mark some stuff and go over those things daily, and that way you grow in prayer. You want to learn how to pray? Listen, the next 150 days, read one psalm every day and just start to try to say the things that are in there. That's a long time of prayer. Hello. Psalm 119, you're going to be there for a few days. I'm just letting you know that. Just take your time. That's a long one. But here is the reality. The reality is we, we, we sometimes struggle because of our discipline, and sometimes we struggle because we feel inadequate or we don't know what to pray for. Listen, get some names of some people in this church and just start praying for them. That'll, that'll help grow your prayer list. Hello. It'll give you some stuff to pray for. There's a lot of stuff to pray for. But we have to be a people that are motivated by this. And the Apostle Paul says some stuff. Just look at it. He says, for this reason I bow my knees. So does that mean that we have to bow our knees in prayer? I like someone was bold. They said, no, that's correct. Paul wasn't saying that that has to be the posture of prayer. All he was doing was he was communicating his heart in prayer. So why do we bow on our knees? Because it's a sign of humility, a sign of surrender. But typical prayer, when you read it in the Bible, it was standing. They were standing when they prayed. So they didn't fall asleep. Hello. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul, but he shows his heart. But look what he does. He says this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father. Say, to the Father. 
He was not just bowing down to just, you know, the air. He was bowing down literally toward the Father, and he said this, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so a couple of things that we notice about the Apostle Paul, uh, the, the Apostle Paul is that, number one, his motivation. His motivation was the gospel. His motivation for prayer was the gospel. His motivation was that, but also his confidence in the one he was praying to. He was confident in the Father. He knew the Father was listening to him, and so he was confident in his prayer life. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this say, a divinely inspired life will be moved by divinely inspired prayers. A divinely inspired life will be moved by divinely inspired prayers. Look at verses 16 to verse 19 for me. This is, the, this is his prayer for us and for the church. When I say for us, in, in verse 21, he makes it clear. He says, to all generations, say to all generations. And so God is working through generations and generations and generations. And the same prayer that was for the church of Ephesus, the Christians that were existent then, is the same prayer that is for us today. And that's why I say it's a good thing. You want to learn how to pray? Take these prayers and make them part of your daily prayer for your brothers, for your sisters in Christ, for your pastors and your leaders, praying for those people that don't know Jesus, that they would come to this knowledge and revelation. And so he prays this for all of us. And he says this, he says, for he, that, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints with all what is the width and the length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God and so in the second prayer that the apostle Paul prayed he is, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to ask four specific things. The first thing that he asked for is strength, that we be strengthened with might. That's the first thing that he asked for, that we would be strengthened with might. The second thing that he asked for is that we would have deeper faith, deeper faith. The third thing that he asked for is apprehended abundant love. So the first thing is strength with might. The second thing is deeper faith. The third thing is apprehended, abundant love. And the fourth thing is that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And so the Apostle Paul prays this for us. And so the first one, strengthen with might. He says, he says in verse 16 that he would grant you according, say according, according to the riches of his glory. Now I want you to know that I, I need to point this out because this is really important. He doesn't say that he would grant you a peace or, or something like that, you know, when, when he's communicating this. He says that he would grant you according. Say according. 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 He is saying I, he, that God would grant you according to his riches and glory. What he's saying is that he is going to give you in proportion to his riches and glory. So he's saying the source that we're getting everything from, and the, and, and, the, and the great analogy that I like is this one here, is that if there was a billionaire that came to you and gave you $10, would that be according to their riches and glory? No. That would just be like a piece of what they had, right? A crumb, right? It would be like nothing. Now, if a millionaire came to you and gave you a million dollars, would that be, I know y'all are receiving that right now. You're like, that's prophetic, Pastor. Amen. <laughs> now, if a millionaire came to you and, give, and, and gave you a million dollars, is that according to their riches? Because, well, yeah, it, it is. No, possibly. Yes. Just say yes. 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 The answer is yes. The right answer is yes. Why? 
because they're a millionaire and they're making you, hello, right? They're doing it. So it's according to that. And it's the same thing with God. God, God, the prayer that the apostles praying, which I believe is God, is that it's God's inspiration. He is praying that we would have this according to his riches and glory. So it's according to who God is. So where, where, where our source is abundant. Where we get everything is an overflow. It's an abundance that it doesn't end. And so God, so Paul is praying. He's saying, listen, that you would be granted, that he would grant you according to his riches and glory to be strengthen with might through his spirit in your inner man. So here's the thing. The first thing is to be strengthened with might. This is what we need to realize is that in order for us to live out the realities of the gospel, we must be strengthened in our inner man as our outward man is perishing. In order for us to be strengthened, or in order for us to live out the truths of the gospel, we must be strengthened in our inner man as our outer man perishes. Our outer man is our flesh. And, and, and in this life, we experience the pull. We experience the difficulties of our outer man. What Paul is saying, he's not saying, hey, man, make them strong so they will live physically forever. He is saying, God, grant them strength in their inner man. So that way when the outer things come into their life, when those situations come, they can walk in your abundant grace. They can walk in the fullness of your power. They can continue to live out the truths that they have been what? That they've been adopted into the family of God. That they can continue to live out the truths that no matter what they're facing, that they are the children of God because of what Jesus has done. To be strengthened in the inner man. The second thing is deeper faith. There's three words here that are utilized. The first one is that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. That's where we get deeper faith. That Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. That you being rooted, second word, grounded, third word, in love. That Christ would dwell in your hearts. And so when you look at this word dwelling, I love this because the way that we should see our lives is we should see our lives as being the home where God is in our lives. And when he's talking about Christ dwelling, he's not talking about when Christ comes to dwell in a Christian. He's saying that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. In other words, that we would grow in our faith in Christ in all areas of our life. Are you hearing me? That we would grow in our faith. That when Jesus comes into the area of our life, I like what one, one writer said. He said, like, Jesus comes to the library of our lives, which is our mind. Hello. And he finds all of our thoughts and all of this garbage that is in there that we would submit to him so he can change the way that we're thinking. That when Jesus would go into the family room of our heart, right, our hearts, our emotion, that we would allow God to sit on the throne and to direct our feelings. That that's what he's talking about here when he's saying that we would allow that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. The second thing that he says, that you being rooted it says rooted. And so this word rooted is what? It's an agricultural term. And it's talking about root system. And so he's saying rooted. And so what happens is roots have to grow down. Hello. They have to grow down. They have to grow wide. If what? If there is going to be fortification. If you are going to experience the nourishment. If the tree is going to experience the nourishment that comes from the ground and from everything else that is the, the sun and, and, and the rain. What's going to have to happen? The roots have to be right. It's the same thing for us, church. So he's praying that we would have this root system. And our root is in what? Rooted in love. Rooted in the love of God. But he also uses another word. That word is grounded. 
And when he says that word grounded, see, that is a, that, that, that's not an agricultural term. That word is a term that is dealing with building, right? It's talking about building foundations. There was a pastor. He was in the middle of a building project. And as he was in the middle of this building project, it was taking them forever because they were doing soil sample after soil sample. And they were doing all of this digging. And they were laying the foundation of the building. And when he came to the builders, he was like, man, guys, it's taking forever to lay this foundation. And the, and, and, and the builder tells the pastor, pastor, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. Did you hear that? If you don't go deep, you can't go high. See, when you look at the foundation of this building, we can't go any higher than what we are. Why? Because the foundation of this building is meant to support this type of structure. You can't keep going up because the foundation will break. And so it's the same thing for our Christianity. We have to have deep roots. We have to have deep foundation. And Christ has to be dwelling deeply in our hearts. The third thing that he prays is this, and he goes on and he says, that you may be able to comprehend, verse 18, he says, that you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. And so the reason why you didn't see that word apprehend in there, you see the word comprehend. But when you literally look at the Greek word for that, it is not just to understand something, you know, to understand it intellectually, but it is to grasp the concept. It is to apprehend the concept. And so the first thing he's like, that you would comprehend, that you would be able to grasp is the first word. And then he goes through this height, depth, length, width, and I'm looking at that, and it's like, you know, we all, we, you know, we all see things like in two dimension regularly on our TVs, right? So we see the height, we see the width, right? And then you see something called 3D, and what does 3D do? 3D adds depth to the picture, right? So you start to, you know, you're sitting there in a movie theater, and or, or whatever, you got your 3D glasses on, and you you feel like something's going to hit you in the faith because not face because now you see this depth. But then you get something that is like fourth dimensional. We, we, don't, we don't see stuff fourth dimensional unless they're like holograms. Hello. And they come and it's like a person in the room, right? It's like someone that's there because now you see their length. You, you see everything. It's like you walk around them. You see the different dimensions that are there. And so that, what God wants us is to fully and completely comprehend. He wants us to grasp something. But look what he says. He says, it's, it's almost like he contradicts himself. Because he says there, he says that we would be able to, that, that, that you may be able to comprehend, so to be able to grasp with all the saints, say all the saints. It's not just you and me. And listen, you and I alone will never, hear me, we will never fully grasp the love of God. It is together that God shows his love and reveals his love and shows it the way that we need to see it. He says you would be able to grasp or comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the depth, the height. And then he goes on to say, and to know. So he goes from comprehending, or look at this word know. This word is the word gnosis, right? It means to know experientially, to experience the love of Christ. Now look at the next part, which passes all knowledge. So the first thing he says is I want you to grasp this. The second thing he says is I want you to experience this love. So I don't just want you to know it here. I don't want you to just really be able to understand looking at the cross of Jesus and what he did and how God, what it says in Isaiah, we looked at that scripture, that it pleased God to crush his son, understanding the magnitude of God's love for us, right? Grasping that to the way that we can, right? To understand and then to experience it. He doesn't just want you to know. He wants you to experience the love of God. 
He wants you to experience it through others. He wants you to experience it in your own worship of God. He wants you to experience it in the way that you love other people. He wants you to experience that. But then he says, I want you to grasp something. I want you to experience something that is beyond your grasp and that is beyond your experience. Because he said it surpasses all knowledge. Minister Wan was sharing with me in our one-on-one. There's a woman at his job, and she is Chinese, and he learned how to say, Jesus loves you. How do you say it? Isu Aini. He asked her how to communicate that to her. And every day when he comes into his job, he tells her, Isu Aini. And she's like, mm-hmm. Isu Aini. And one day she went off on him, and she was like, ah, you know, you're God. And she, you know, she began to break down for him why she didn't believe Isu Aini. Explained all of her bad experiences and all of this different stuff. And then one day she comes into his office, and she tells him, I believe it. Walks out of the office. Comes back into the office. She's like, but I don't understand. And when he told me that story, I said, man, that is the truth of where we have to be. When you really know the love of God, you really don't understand it. You know it. I mean, it's something that you know. It's something that you've experienced, but you, it surpasses. Listen, it is beyond all knowledge. I like what one writer said, and it was a saint of old that was incarcerated, and he wrote this on his cell. He said, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of, par- and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Listen, the love of God, you can experience it, and you can know it. And if you don't, you're not growing in it. That's just a reality. But you cannot know it completely. On this side of heaven, hello. It's just impossible. It's something that we should continue to grow in. We should continue to grow in that knowledge of who our God is. The fourth thing that he prayed for is that we would be filled with fullness. He doesn't want you half full, hello. He doesn't want you partially full. He wants you to experience the love of God and to where, listen, that I'm filled to the fullness to the degree that what? That I understand, that listen, my life becomes so overwhelmed. And when we think about being filled with the fullness, I know we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is so true. But I want you to realize something, that God doesn't fill you with power and love separately. Are you hearing me? He doesn't fill you with power and great might, and you got to, like, ask for love. Listen, as the Holy Spirit is being poured into your life, guess what is also being poured? It's the same love. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God, and God is what? God is love. And so what happens is God wants us to be filled with the fullness of him, the fullness of his love, the fullness of his power. He invites us to be filled with the power of God. The question is, are we available for him to fill us? 
The question is, are we seeking to apprehend and really understand that love to the degree that we can? The question is, are we really allowing our faith to be deepened? The question is, am I really allowing the Spirit of God to strengthen me? Because God wants us to be those people who experience this. Divinely inspired prayers, just to give you some context here. Divinely inspired prayers are those prayers aligned to God's will. Where do we find God's will? Say, in His Word. His will is clear in his word. Now, there may be some things that are not written out, like what house you should buy, hello, what car you should buy. And in those things, you need to ask God what, according to, first, according to James, right? Ask him for what? Wisdom, right? But other things, his will is clear in his word. And so when I'm praying, I contest the will of God. Like, you know, the book of Proverbs said, the blessing of the Lord. Listen to this one. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. How many of y'all can say amen to that? But check this out. It said, and addeth no sorrow. You know what that means? Don't be saying, God bless me, and then you're stressing about your blessing. Hello. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, the Lord blessed me, but I'm killing myself to maintain it. I got a question. Who got it for you? Hello. I'm just saying, right? Because the, the, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. That's what, that's what Proverbs says. That's what, that's what the will of God is, is that I would experience God's blessing. But hold on a second. I need to test that stuff by the scriptures. Oh, the Lord opened up. Did, did he really? Mm-hmm. I know, I know you don't want to hear that. <laughs> These inspired prayers, they come as the Holy Spirit leads us according to the will of God, according to the Spirit of God. But let me tell you something else you can tell when these prayers are inspired by the Lord. Because one thing is always going to happen. Your prayer will bring glory to God. It is about the glory of God. And the second thing that is always going to be synonymous with a prayer that is inspired by the Lord is that you are also going to pray not for what you want, not for what they want, but the Spirit of God will lead you to pray according to the real need of the matter, according to really what's going on there. Not my will, God, your will be done. Third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this, say, a divinely inspired life will be molded by power in its praise of God. A divinely inspired life will be molded by power in its praise of God. Verses 20 through 21, as the Apostle Paul is closing this prayer, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generation forever and ever. Amen. That's what is called a benediction. And so he's closing up this prayer. He's closing up these first three chapters. And as he's bringing them to a close, what he is communicating is he's letting us know, listen, this is not about me. This is not about you. This is about Jesus Christ being glorified in the church. This is about him. Now unto him. Unto him be all the glory. Unto him be all of the praise. But what happens is we have to realize that that needs to be the same focus of our lives, that we bring glory and honor to him. That we bring glory and praise to him. As the Apostle Paul comes to the end of his prayer in this first portion of Ephesians, he models praise and points to what it's all about. I want to quote C.S. Lewis here because he says something that I think is pretty awesome. He's writing in one of his books um, dealing with, with the Psalms. It's Reflections in the Psalms. And he's talking about praise. And I want you to hear what C.S. Lewis says because it really points out what should be happening here or what is, what is actually occurring here. He says, the most obvious fact about praise escaped me. For the longest time, I thought of praise in terms of a compliment, approval, or the giving of honor, which is probably the way that most of us think of it. 
I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or something else brings it into check. Example, the world rings with praise. Lovers praise their mistresses. I told you all the story about my wife. Had my closest friend, um, the person at that time, he was, he was the, the guy that was my closest friend. He was the, the first person to mentor me, and I was talking to him, and we used to talk a couple of times a week, and one day we're on the phone, and, and, and as I'm talking to him, I didn't even realize this, but I must have said Elaine's name like 100 times or something like that when I first started talking, and he was like, man, you must think a lot about this girl, and I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? And he's like, bro, you are not, everything is Elaine this, Elaine that, Elaine. I'm like, bro, shut up. I don't, I'm like, don't come at me like that, man. I'm like, that, that, ain't, that ain't even true, man. <laughs> and what happened was I was enjoying, right? I was enjoying this relationship. And so it was spontaneous, right? It just happened that, you know, and y- y'all know people like that. Hello, glory to God. That all, all they, they, they just always talking about, you know, something. And so lovers praise their mistresses, right? Readers, their favorite poet. You read something that you really like if you're into reading and you go and tell them, man, you got to read this book. You got to read this poem. Walkers praising the countryside. So people who are outside, they praise the country. Players praising their favorite game. Hello, I got all these sports fans. Glory to God. Eagles, Cowboys, Gators, you know, all over the place. And so, you know, ultimately, they do what? It's automatic. They begin to praise. The praise of weather, the, play, the praise of dishes. You go to a place, you like food, you tell everyone about it. You, know, you got to go to this restaurant. You got to have this here. Praise of actors, of motors, horses, colleagues, countries, historical um, personas, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced, capacious minds praised most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously, you got to catch this part, that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising. You see, when I praise something, when I really worship something, it is automatic to invite you into the praise. Think about it. You praise your children, what happens? You invite everyone else. My children got straight A's. Guess what you did? You're praising them, and you're inviting everyone else to give them a pat on the back. Hello. You're inviting everyone else to look at them. Your child does well in sports, and you're like, man, check. You're inviting everyone to praise them. It is natural for us when you do that. And so you look at this, and so you have this as a spontaneous thing. You see things like, isn't she lovely? You think that she was lovely. She was dressed nice. Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that was magnificent? The psalmist, now thinking of this in the psalmist terms, the psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is, he is saying, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He ties it back to us. He's like, man, unto him be glory and honor. But the power is operative in us. We need to let the Spirit of God have his way in our lives. Hello? Unto him be glory Forever and ever in the church through Jesus Christ. And so Paul does what? He invites people into the praise party. 
He invites them to join in praise. And so why does this matter? Because a life, I said this, a divinely inspired life will be molded by power in its praise of God. Now unto him be glory and honor, right? According to the power that works in us. As I am caught up in praising the one who is worthy of all praise and all glory, his power is operating in my life. He is molding me more and more to become more and more like him. And so the first thing that we realize about our lives being molded by praise is that that is what should be occurring, is that his power should be operating and making us more like him. But can I tell you why this praise thing becomes so important? Because when we are really a person who is given to praise, we more naturally evangelize the lost. You know why? Because you can't help but talk about the one who has your heart. You can't help but give praise to God. While everyone else is saying, man, I worked hard for that. You're saying, glory to God. You're pointing to Jesus. Why? Because that's really the one who is in your heart. Listen, if you got to work up praise, if you got to like figure it out, man, you better check your heart because you really don't give him praise for everything. If you got to like try to fit God in, time out. You don't need, you should never need to fit God in. It, you, it, it should be almost impossible for you to keep God out. I'm just saying, like you should be getting in trouble. I'm not telling you you'll get into trouble. I'm just saying, like people should be telling you, look, man, you're breaking the rule. You're coming close to that line. I'm just saying, it's should be something that is natural that only becomes natural when we really encounter the love of God and so as I'm closing I have this question and it is this are you living under divine inspiration are you living under divine inspiration let me ask you the second question to this to help you answer that that question which is the most important question is what is really really your greatest motivation What's really your greatest motivation? Is your greatest motivation money? Is your greatest motivation success? Is your greatest motivation your children? Is your greatest motivation your spouse? Is your greatest motivation your retirement years? Hello. What is your greatest motivation? If the gospel is not your greatest motivation, and listen, when I say this, it doesn't mean that other things won't motivate you. I'm motivated by my kids. I'm motivated by my wife. I get excited when I'm coming home and I'm going to see my family. I'm motivated by that. But listen, my greatest motivation is not them. It cannot be them. It can't be. And so the question for you is what is your greatest motivation? What is it that drives you? And if it's something other than Jesus, And I beg you to repent of that sin of idolatry. If there's something else that is bigger in your heart that moves you more than Jesus does, if there's something else that moves you, I I beg you, repent of that idolatry. Turn from that sin. Stand to your feet with me and bow your heads, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. I wanted to take a moment, and I know that we had the video, made the service a little bit longer. But listen, I just want you to take this moment just to bow your hearts before Jesus. 
really bow your heart before the Savior. And as we worship in this place and we talk about the great power of Jesus, if you need prayer, I ask you to come forward to this, this altar area here so we can pray for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you about something in this message, something in your life, and you need to deal with that thing. And so I welcome you to come forward and lay that thing down before Jesus. Maybe you need prayer on something else. You came here with a burdened heart. There's whatever the reason is, if you need someone to pray with you, we're here. We want to pray with you today. Typically, I would ask you to pray for one another, but I just want to open this up. If you know that your life is